and I think the, the big mistake that most people make one is they skip straight to like, let me tell you how you can, let me tell you how you can participate. The fund can give you this benefit or return. And that's the first thing to hit you with as though that's all people care about. All I care about is I want a 14 IRR and a 2X equity multiple. It's like, it's important. Don't think that's the reason why they do what they do. They, they do what they do because they're saying that I have this need to grow and build my wealth. And I'm looking for someone who can be the Sherpa, my Sherpa, one of many Sherpas on my team. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Lance Pedersen. Lance, thanks for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure, Jess. Thanks for having me. So you've got a pretty great podcast that I've been consuming very regularly now, and you've started a couple of pretty interesting companies. What do you tell people about the show and about the businesses? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the the podcast is the Real Estate Risk Report. And, and, you know, I started that because I feel like I started to hear a lot of people. It's it's interesting. So we we, we deal with a lot of middle market real estate investing. So, you know, multifamily syndications. And it's sort of become a big deal, right? Like it's been around forever, but there's a lot of activity. And, you know, one of the narratives I, I started to pick up on was sort of this notion that, you know, these passive investors or LPs sort of don't know what they're talking about. Like, they're just not like, like as though that they're just not smart enough to pick up on, you know, what, what these real estate guys are doing and it's too complicated. And I don't know, it sort of bothered me. And so, you know, my thought was, you know, I, I tend to disagree, right? Like I, I feel like, yeah, people, people might not understand it, but it's, it's more of a function of, because yeah, if you keep babying them or treating them like children, then how would they ever learn, right? And so for me, it was this this notion of help take, you know, the everyman, you know, whether they're like entrepreneur in some other business or, you know, a dentist or an anesthesiologist or whoever they are, right? And take them from kind of ignorant to enlightened, right? Like, let, let's help them get to the point where they feel more comfortable allocating capital to, you know, an alternative investment, in this case, you know, real estate backed, you know, sorts of strategies. And so, the, and, and I really tackled it from the other approach is that, you know, I happen to be in a position where I'm not trying to get people to give me their money. So I should, let's talk about risk. Let's talk about what can go wrong, right? Because I feel like if you remove some of the fear about you know, all the bad things that can happen, then I think it makes people more comfortable, right? It's sort of like, if you're going to go bungee jumping, I mean, I want to hear the guy tell me that, you know, here's all the things that we're doing to ensure that you don't plummet to your death, right? <laughs> now, now, I mean, I have five children and, I'm, and as, I've, as I've gotten older and, and built a family, I'm certainly much more risk averse when it comes to doing dangerous activities such as bungee jumping or, you know, skiing or any, any sort of things like that. I don't want to leave my family with, without their father, but, you know, it's just, it's, it's things like that, like, getting people comfortable with what we're doing. So that's sort of the podcast. And I think it, it just fits nicely with my day job, right? Of just, you know, of, of being sort of a service provider to the industry and trying to help connect those same investors with deal sponsors around the country, right? So we remove friction from that and allow people to, I mean, the great thing about real estate, it's, it's it, you know, you can generate some really great returns, right? Like you can, I mean, you hear it all the time, you can build great wealth. A lot of people, in fact, most, a lot of the wealth that gets built is from real estate investing. So let, let's get more people involved. Well, I love it for a few reasons, but one, you know, as a sponsor myself, just hearing what so many other people's journeys has been is interesting. And I like, there's always like a bit of hesitation, but I like your question of like, when you're like, well, tell me about, tell me about when stuff has gone sideways and you hear these like very real stories. And I think, uh, you know, you probably have to be an optimist to be an entrepreneur in the first place, which is great in some ways, but can also create blind spots. And so for me, it's like, Hey, I get to hear what people are doing all over the country, but I also get to hear like how different people have got themselves in trouble and just kind of like keep ourselves from getting overconfident, you know? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, and I do sense that when I start to go into asking people about 
you know, how do you mitigate risk? And, and you can see them sort of hesitate because that is the optimist in them, right? And I always tell them that, it's, and I try to explain this to the deal sponsors that you need to understand is that that as a limited partner, you know, you're sort of thinking about downside uh, risk. I mean, you're trying to protect your downside. You're trying to figure out how you're going to hit a home run, right? And so, you know, and you hear them sort of like stumble a bit or they realize like, because they want to tell me that it doesn't have that much risk, right? They want to say that it doesn't exist. And of course, I won't let them get away with that. It's sort of like, dude, it's inherent, right? Like you can't generate double digit returns without there being risk. That just goes, it's, it's hand in hand, right? Like that's that premium, right? It's the risk premium that you're being paid for. Of course, there's risk. So it just, you know, how do you deal with it? How do you ensure that whatever could go wrong doesn't go wrong? And and yeah, and then you do have the guys who are open about, and of course, the, the longer they've been in the business, the more willing they are to sort of share, you know, their stumbles. And, and, and more often than not, the stories come from the early days of them investing, right? Which of course makes sense. You know, as an adult, you know, I can ride a bike without crashing it. As a child, <laughs> I could make it through one bike riding session without, you know, hitting the pavement, right? It's just, it's just kind of how it goes. So it, it is good to hear them, how they've been humbled, you know, over the years and uh, are willing to sort of share those war stories. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm such a nerd for everybody who's taken the Warren Buffett principles and applied them to real estate. So like, I really love Bruce Flatt at Brookfield or Howard Marks at Oak Tree. Mm-hmm. And I was re-listening to Howard Marks books again this week, The Most Important Thing and Mastering the Market Cycle. And, I, and he is such a fan of Nicholas Taleb. I thought, yeah. ah, I haven't read all his books. I, I got to go see which ones of his I haven't finished, you know. And so going through Fooled by Randomness over the last couple of weeks, it's like, yeah. I don't think we just make mistakes at the beginning of our careers, you know. And so Yeah, I, I, I agree. That, that's why I was careful to say they're willing to share the ones that they made in the beginning, right? <laughs> like, it's sort of the, oh, let me go way back in the way back machine when I was just a young buck, right? So, yeah, there's, there's some truth to that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. And Taleb is, he's an interesting follow on Twitter for sure. He's an interesting character, but yeah, I mean, there isn't, it, it's, it, you know, and I think that's just, it's half the battles realizing that we're, we're, we're human beings and, and there's these sort of inherent thinking errors. It, it's sort of that obviously we've been good at figuring out how to survive this long, but, but there's other things we do to sort of like protect ourselves from ourselves. And it's things like that, where if we were all completely aware and conscious of, of our flawed thinking, we might have much more of a mental health crisis than we do today, right? So there's just some sort of, there's some something in there. And, I, and I'll tell you what, for me personally, I'm always thinking about that. Like, I'm never convinced I'm right. I'm, I mean, even though I sound very confident, deep down, I'm going, as it comes out of my mouth, I'm thinking, is that really true? Is that accurate? Am I really looking at that the right way? And it drives some people crazy because it looks like I'm super flaky. Cause I'll like the next day I'll change my mind. Like you said yesterday, I'm like, well, I don't care what I said yesterday. I thought more about it and I'm, I think I'm wrong, you know? And it's just, it's that, it's, it's that thing being willing to just let things go, being willing to have your, to change the way you look at something I think is important, but difficult. It's interesting. You know, Taleb is not the biggest Soros. I'm not necessarily the biggest Soros fan, but Taleb is a big fan of Soros. Mm-hmm. And, but specifically one of the traits is, his willingness to change his opinion when he gets evidence to the contrary. Yep. Yep. It's, it's an interesting reason to admire someone. And yet when I start digging into it more, I find myself admiring it for the same reason, you know, well, let, let's do this. Tell people a little bit about Verivest and fairway and, and how you got to where you're at. Yeah. I mean, so for, for me, you know, I kind of stumbled into this industry and, you know, I started my career. I learned quickly. I couldn't work for other people. And I, and that's not surprising. My parents were small business owners. And, you know, I, I realized quickly, like, man, I, I can't have a boss that this isn't going to work. Right. And so I started an IT services company, very naive when I was 20 years old or whatever. And, you know, built that to like a $5 million revenue business and 35 people. And, you know, but I got, I got kind of to that place and it was a fun ride and it was crazy and made a ton of mistakes. And, you know, but I, and I thought that I was passionate about IT. And I, I think I learned along the way that it, it wasn't that I'm, I'm passionate about solving like interesting problems and, and, and I'm good at just figuring things out. So I ended up, you know, selling that business to my partner. And then I went and started working with a guy who's in my EO forum group, Matt Burke. And, you know, he was a 
underwriter and loan originator guy, hard money. And, you know, I came in and just worked in the back office to like get our stuff together. Cause it was super disorganized and, you know, we were trying to get more institutional capital. And so it's kind of just like baptism by fire, like learning this whole space. Right? But I think learning it from kind of the lending side is a, is a great place to start because, you know, and especially when you're doing hard money, I mean, you need to, you need to underwrite for the fact that you might end up owning this property. Right. And so just learning it from that perspective was super helpful. And then we were running these investment funds, you know, so then you end up learning a bunch of those things. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I, and I ended up teaching myself accounting when I was running my first business because I couldn't figure out how do I run this business? We were on cash books and I'm like, this is impossible. It's like one month looks like we're killing it. The next month we're getting crushed. So I, of course, learned accrual accounting, like, dude, accrual accounting and inventory. And, you know, that's how you can see how you're, you know, managerial accounting kind of, kind of thing. So I applied all that stuff to what we were doing, got it cleaned up. And, and but, but really for us, then we decided to pivot in 2011 because we, we kind of hung on through the, the, you know, the, the global financial, financial crisis. And, and, you know, we decided, hey, if we're going to underwrite these debt deals, like, like we're equity investing, we might as well be equity investors, right? And we might as well just go find guys who are really great at what they're doing around the country. And, and you know, we can raise capital and manage investment funds and, you know, really become private equity real estate guys instead of solely originators of, of hard money loans in the Pacific Northwest. So that was our idea. And, but, but very specifically, we said, you know, we want, because we, we found how hard it was to raise capital for our own, you know, for ourselves, it was really like the hardest part. And so for us, we're like, okay, North Star is how do we help create a flood of capital to worthy real estate entrepreneurs, right? Like that was sort of what we wanted to do. Like, okay, great. If we can raise money and we can create funds and we can identify those who are worthy of you know, worthy stewards of the capital who can execute a strategy that generates above average risk adjusted returns. That's what we want to do and, you know, do that in a big way. And so that's really guided us. And what ended up happening was, you know, we started doing that and created a fund and we launched this advisory practice where we helped real estate entrepreneurs figure out how to more efficiently capitalize their business, which usually meant launch like a pooled investment fund or, you know, something, something, you know, usually it was a pooled investment fund, right? And so, but that then of course led to them saying, okay, great. Now I got this fund, but how in the world do I administer this thing? Cause no one will take us on as administration client and we don't have the resources. So then this is where the entrepreneur and me said, well, we can do it for them. Right. And so we started, and that's really what is now Verivest. So fast forward, you know, you know, eight years, you know, we really, we end up spinning what is now Verivest off in 2017 is its own business because now we've got a private equity real estate firm that is Fairway America and we have Verivest, which is really service provider to what amounts to the sub-institutional real estate space around the country. And it's been, it's been a fun ride, but it's been hard, right? Like really it's, it's, it's hard to do things that are worth doing, right? Like it's a, it's a labor of love certainly, but yeah, that's kind of our story. And and are you public about any of your numbers at Verivest, like what the you know combined assets under management of your clients would be? Like, because it's it's big if you add it all up. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, like for for those clients that we do what we call like you know fund administration, like preparing the financial statements and sending out the you know the distributions and those things, it it amounts to it. I think we're just about to crest two billion in assets under administration. So that's sort of $2 billion worth of investor capital or equity in these deals. That's not, that's not counting like leverage. That's just counting like, yeah, the equity into this stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, it's legit. Right. And, and of course this, I mean, that's nothing if you're like in the institutional world, that could be like four clients that have got, you know, half a billion dollar funds or something, but these are small, right? These are, these are like, you know, 20, 25, 30 million is the average sort of investor capital per client. So it's, it's, yeah. So that's sort of the, that's the deal. Yeah. Well, what I am, I mean, like, besides that, it's great to have a specialist, you know, for, for this type of administration who, you know, eat, breathes and sleeps <laughs> real estate yeah. specifically, you know, yeah. it's not like real estate and our venture practice and our crypto practice and our, you know what I mean? Just yeah. the thousand different strategies, which means you really aren't a specialist in anything. 
But but I think too, there's this, uh, you know, there are so many horror stories of people losing money from a risk they didn't know about. You know, like it's one thing of like, hey, we bought this investment. You know what you're getting into, and it didn't go the way we all hoped. To me, the worst is the risk you didn't know about because the guys weren't doing with the money what they said they were going to do with the money. Or do you know what I mean? The 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 fraud or the stuff that's just this side of fraud, but inappropriate, you know? Yeah. And I think that it's actually a real service to the industry for you guys to come out and start helping with that because there is that investor confidence factor that that could be, you know, that needs the help. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I, I do think that that's the, it, it's a funny thing, right? Is that I, 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 we've clearly proven through many of the conversations we've had with investors is that that there is some trepidation, even when they're investing and allocating capital into those who I would consider worthy stewards of said capital. You know, it's just kind of the world we live in, right? Is that that they they know whether it's conscious or subconscious that that they don't know for a fact that everything is being done above board, right? And and they lose sleep over it, right? And so they they say things sort of half joking, but like half not like I don't know, maybe who knows? It could be a Ponzi scheme, right? That's usually the response when they've consistently gotten checks every quarter, right? Like, oh, I know it's a Ponzi scheme, you know, or, you know, just things like, man, it's just, I don't know who to try. I don't know if they're making the stuff up or I don't know. And so I, I really listen carefully. If I'm good at anything, it's sort of just like paying attention and just cataloging things I see, right? Like, I feel like that's one of the traits an entrepreneur needs is just pattern recognition, pick up on the patterns, identify trends, address those trends, right? Or address those things. Like, where's the opportunity? What's the problem to be solved? So, so for me, that's sort of how I've looked at it is if, if we can remove those concerns, like I, I'd much rather have all those who allocate capital into these strategies, which, which, you know, are more than likely good strategies or good, good investments. I'd, I'd rather they are sleeping better at night, right. And not worried about those things. Life's too short to worry about those things. So, if we can just take it off the plate, in our case, that's what we do at Veribas. And that's one of the, the newer services we've offered is just said, okay, you don't know if these guys are crooks or criminals or have been in the past. We'll run background checks on them and do so every year. We'll take that off. Like we'll remove that as a factor. Okay. These guys are not crooks and they've signed a code of conduct that says that if they do something that, you know, would, would, would make them one, or they've been accused of fraud, they have to let us know. And if they don't, we're going to find out about it in under 12 months anyway. Secondly, if they're claiming that they've done all these wonderful things in real estate, like bought a half a billion dollars worth of it, it, and they and they feel the need to have to tell the whole world, and it's on every PowerPoint presentation, it's in their email signature, and it's on their website. If they want to do that, then they need to back it up, and they can send their track record to us and pay us, and we'll verify it, right? And and so because for you as a once again, if you're a dentist, you're in people's mouths four days a week, you know, like you're. It, it, you don't have the time, the skill, the inclination or whatever to do that. We can do it for the sponsor once and keep it up to date. So you've got a living track record and it's for the benefit of all the potential LPs in the future, right? And then ultimately to your point about misappropriating of funds, which I actually, I happen to believe is the biggest risk. And it's the risk that now maybe, maybe the market is already pricing it in. And, and you know, and this is all subconscious and we, we would never have the answer to this, but, but it could be. Right. I mean, if you're doing an eight pref and an 80 20 split, or, you know, one could argue that you sort of priced in the risk of you could just run away with my money. You know, I'd, it, I'd be hard pressed to be sold on that. I don't think it is priced in because, no. you know, that's terrifying. And if they could just, you know, start, and I think that, and the other thing I think happens is I think that it happens, it's not made off esque, right? Where it's just like completely everything's fabricated. I think that it's a slippery slope that, you know, they woke up one day and they were of the highest integrity and the next day something happens and they start to do things. Things start to happen. And I'm not saying it's like 100 percent. I don't know what the percentage is, but I think that people sort of, you know, it's that stuff that no one ever gets caught doing, like just skimming, like charging more fees than they should have or, you know, those sorts of stuff that just it, it tends to happen. And so that's the bigger risk is that someone's just going to misappropriate your funds one way or another. Madoff-esque or, you know, on a, a smaller scale. And we can remove that. Like we, we, we can solve for that. Well, I think, you know, again, 
I think like I haven't had any original thoughts. I just regurgitate other people's rights. But, you know, you hear about Warren Buffett who says like that temptate, like those people who claim that they're always going to make the numbers eventually get tempted to make up the numbers, mm-hmm. you know? And so you see these people who are like, they, when it becomes, it's just a thought, but I feel like there's this, there's this thought like this self image of infallibility or like this, this cardboard cutout version of themselves that they want everybody to believe. Well, all of us investors want people to believe that we've got some superior skill or we, we know what we're doing or whatever. Right. But where that gets obsessive is when we're like, I feel like you've got this project that's not going well. Right. And people start getting more worried about their reputation than their integrity. And they tell themselves, I'm only going to borrow money from, from this other fund temporarily. And then we'll give it back. But, you know, I don't want to highlight that we're having problems here. So I'm not actually going to like paper alone and do this above board. We'll just, we'll just temporarily borrow it. And then the reason that one was in trouble doesn't actually get fixed. So it's still in the hole and it doesn't have it to give back. And, you know, and it's so shortcuts. It's those shortcuts, I think, more often than anything for image. Like, sure, there's the greed one where people just want money. But my, my observation at least feels like at least as much as greed is, is image. What, where do you in on that? Yeah, I, I completely concur that. And, and that's what I think it is. It's just, you know, and it, it's borderline sort of cowardice behavior, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's unwilling to sort of own up, right? It's, it's an account, it's an accountability issue, right? Like not willing to be held accountable. And, and like you said, and then that infallibility and thinking that you can make up for it. And I call it the slippery slope, right? It's, it's the slippery slope in, in, you know, it happens. It makes sense to me that, as you said, that that's how people think. You see that kind of thought process in many walks of life of sort of just, you know, make up for it. We just keep going. And and unfortunately, when it's other people's money, you know, it's not a good situation. And and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's how it happens. And that, that's why for me, it's just saying, well, it's a it's a deterrent, right? If if you engage my company, Verivest, right, to monitor your deals at minimum on an ongoing basis, we're protecting you from yourself. And I know that everyone thinks that they are of the highest integrity and going to do the right thing when no one's looking. Well, why not just go ahead and prove it? So, you know, we, we can just watch well, you and, and we can prove that, that that is what you do, right? To me, it seems like that's even better talk track than you claiming that you always do the right thing when no one's looking. Because no one, if no one's looking, how would they know if you did or didn't? Well, and this is, I think what I like is, you know, I, I was on the institutional side of, you know, I'm at, when I was at M&A at Citigroup, we were the number one mid-market M&A firm, you know, for mid-market, we were number one in the world. And for the regular transactions, you know, probably still top five, right? And then when I switched over to this world, you know, 15, 16 plus years ago, all of a sudden you're like, there's some like used car salesman stuffed in with like the good people. You know what I mean? And I think what I like about you guys even existing is, unfortunately, over the last, you know, decade and a half, two decades that I've been around this world, like I for sure have met people who would never sign up for that because even though they, you know, they would mm-hmm. like to tell themselves they're so honest, they want to leave themselves the wiggle room. And it's almost like they're like, I don't know if you really feel like this. I feel like Veribest is like, I dare you to let somebody verify that you're uh, have as high integrity as you claim you have. Yeah. No, there's, there's some truth to that, man. That, that's kind of how I view it. And I, and I agree with you. And I've had those conversations since we've started, you know, went down that path, this path. That's how I feel like many of those conversations have went is that they're just saying, I want, I need the wiggle room. You know, like I, I, you know, that I'm not willing to give that up until I'm, until I'm forced to. Right. And, you know, and it's, it's hard. And that's what I always say is that I give them a bit of the out. Cause I, I can sense it. And I just say, well, you know, not everyone's sort of of the early adopter ilk, right? Maybe you're more of the laggard. You know, I'll, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. But but for me, and this is what I tell people all the time too, is that I've reached a stage in my life. I mean, I'm not like that old or anything, but it's just, I just gotten to the point where I'm like, I just want to do business with people I like doing business with. And I tell people a lot, a lot of the times. And I guess for me, it makes it easier. It makes my life easier when I know that when I when I when I've met a client and I know they've passed background checks and I know that I know everything that's going on. Cause you're it doing their books. <laughs> Cause I'm doing their books. It makes it easier for me to be a fan of theirs. Whereas I feel like up until that point, 
I always felt, you know, it, it just was this weird feeling like I had my own doubts, right? When I'd meet people who we weren't doing the stuff for or whatever. And, and now I'm just like, it's the whole whiner thing too. You got certain clients who are just whiners and whatever. I'm kind of like, then go someplace else. Like, I really don't care. Right. And so <laughs> now I can say that because I'm like, it only the people who are really, really, really believe in this stuff tend to, at least up to this point, have been the ones who've gotten involved with what we're doing. And it, and, and it's it's a blast. It's a, it's a lot of fun because now I get to be their fans because I know that it, it, once again, I'm not being compensated if people put money in their deals. So I'm not like they're promoting their deals, but I can be their cheerleader. I can be like, those guys are awesome. And they're awesome because they were willing to undergo background checks and we know where all their money's going and they're doing the right thing. Do I know? I mean, are they the world's greatest investors? I have no idea. That's for you to figure out. But they're, they're, they're salt to the earth people. They're good at what, you know, they seem to be good at what they do. And, you know, and they're committed to higher, a higher standard, right? And and so, and they do it enthusiastically, right? Whereas the people who are kind of like always trying, I mean, and I've seen some of that since we've done it, where they're just trying to like skirt the, you know, we've created our own rules in this game. It's our game. It's, we made it up. And then they try to like bend the rules. Like, I yeah, know, but I want my investor capital managed number to be higher and it should, you should count these. And I'm kind of like, Dude, I make the rules. It's my it's my club. I, I'm not counting it. So, you know, go home. You know, take your ball and go home if you want to. I don't know. Well, obviously, I'm a fan, but I want to shift gears. You have seen so many folks in this space over the years, and and obviously, just the dozens of of current clients you've got. When you think about the firms that have become wildly successful, like those outperformers, you know, for instance. I'm a big fan of, of our mutual friend who got us introduced. I'm sure yeah. you've seen others that are great as well. What are some characteristics specifically for you know, private real estate funds? What are some of the common principles you see across the highest performers? Yeah, there's, there's, there's at least two things. Two things come to mind. Number one is high, high conviction. So there is a method to their madness, right? Like there is some core belief, like they believe wholeheartedly in what they do and why they do it and how they do it, right? So take our mutual friend as example, right? Like it, it's thought through. They're, they're saying, these are the markets we like. These are the assets we like. This is when we transact. We want to be paid. We want to do all of these, like everything is, is thought out, right? Right, wrong or indifferent. It, it's the things they believe and they believe them wholeheartedly. Right. And now are they the world's greatest sort of promoters? Are they the most charismatic people you ever met? No, they're not. Not at all, in fact. And so, you know, that's that's number one, high, high conviction. And and two, I think is that they're they're committed to sort of educating, right? And like and and it, and it kind of goes hand in hand a bit with this transparency concept or whatever, but they have some method for, you know, continuing to give and provide information about what they do and why they do it and how they do it. So they take it a step further. I'm convicted, but yet I'm also meet people where they are and bring them in and bring them along. All of, I mean, all of the successful ones you can point to that they've done, those two things are present, right? And this is what I'm always telling other deal sponsors. Like you need to understand that, you, you know, you need to have a strategy first and foremost, you need to have conviction, you need to pick a lane, you need to believe it. And you have to build the story around that. And you need to make yourself all about making the end user, in this case, the past investor, the LPs first, how do we educate you? Right. And you put them first and the rest will come. And, you know, some people just, they can't, you know, they don't do it. They don't take the advice and they keep looking for shortcuts or silver bullets or whatever else. Or they're doing. Is it that they also like they're, like when you think about the conviction, is it that there's like, oh, this 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 opportunity sounds hot, and they flip flop between asset classes and geographies and stuff, or what what else? What does that look like when they're not high conviction? Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. When, when they when yeah when they don't have conviction, that's that's yeah, you see some of that, right? Like sort of, you know, from this property type to that property type, or this market to that market, and and two, I just think it's you know that things like we just put offers in on everything or, you know, we, we, you know, they, they don't, they don't go through the rigor to like develop something that's, you know, it's like, here's how we're going to, I mean, like, let's take the mutual friend as an example. I mean, they made it a, a very, okay, building relationships with brokers. Now I know this isn't like a new idea and they don't think that it's a new idea either. Right. But they like internalize that is that 
yes, that seems like a good idea, but let's take it to the next level, right? Like let's make sure that when, when they have a seller that comes to them, that we're the first call. So how do we get the first call? So that's what I call conviction is that when you start to peel back the layers of the onion, when the sponsor starts to answer questions that you're asking them, you're going to be able to keep going and drilling further down and their answers and, and the nuance and the specificity will increase. And you know that they don't have conviction when they just say, uh, we scan MLS and whatever. And, and they say something and you try to dig deeper and you realize like, there's nothing there. There's no substance there. Right. There's and the great ones have it. Like there's a method to the madness and how they do it. That's why I say right, wrong, or indifferent. I don't think it matters. I think the fact that they just go that deep ends up getting them, you know, what, what they're after, right? Which is the building those relationships well, in the case maybe. I mean, I can see that because they start getting enough meaningful repetitions in to get some compound interest on their learning. Yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It goes back to that that pattern recognition, repeated thing. They're they're committed to something, and then they and then they iterate, and and you make changes from there. But if you're all over the map, and I mean, on the flip side, right? You just hear of people, and they're out there as we speak. Okay, we're in multifamily because multifamily's hot, and then we're basically just going to put an offer in on every property. I mean, every that's their strategy. Their strategy is we just put an offer on every single property. And then, and then they end up, you know, getting some deals under contract, which more than likely they've overpaid for. They don't have a business plan yet. They're developing one like, you know, on the fly. It's just, and of course, unfortunately for many of the participants or the LPs looking in, it's hard. Most of those people that have that, that lack conviction have a ton of charisma, you know, unfortunately. And we're all, and I say that all the time, when I meet people who've got that charisma or that woo you know, the win other, others over sort of strength, you know, from strengths finder, you know, I, of course it's like intoxicating when you meet them, but I'm like, I've learned in my life that when I meet them and I, I might be one of those guys to suddenly like, wow, that guy's really interesting. And I'm like, I'm always like, whoa, whoa, whoa I got to slow down. Like it, it's, and maybe that's a skeptic in me. I don't know I'm getting older, but that that's, that's I the got, sort of thing. Those guys have that. Yeah. I have a hint that you probably didn't just become a skeptic, but you, you maybe have had this as a lifelong trait, Lance. I, I don't I think, think that so. you were ever just completely snowed. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right. Well, I mean, th- those are great. Those are great points. I noticed too, and I'm thinking about some of your other interviews and, and let's pick on multifamily. You know, like we've got a t- guy on our team who did $2 billion of multifamily at REITs and stuff, right? Yeah. And, and that's great and all, unless you can only go find four cap deals just like everybody else. Yeah. You know, and like, like my, my big concern, I mean, there's a reason we haven't on this new fund that we haven't tied up any of that stuff yet. And we have not found anything in multifamily where we have an edge and, and we're going to keep looking and we hope we find one, but you know, it's like the whole back to Warren Buffett thing or, or, or Bruce flat, you know, they've got that. I don't know if you, did you ever see the Bruce flat talk at Google? Where he talks about how you know how did Brookfield get to 500 billion? No, uh, it's so good. You got to watch it. But he's like, yeah. hey, he, and he shows a slide. This is a poster we have in almost all of our offices around the world, and it's got like all these sheep falling off a cliff, and one black sheep going the other way, saying, "Excuse me, excuse me," right? <laughs> exactly. And it's like they're falling off. I I think of it as falling off the cliff of ro- low returns, doing what everybody will pat you on the back and say is going to work, of uh, what the Wall Street Journal and everybody knows is hot, like you know, right now triple net leases industrial you're renting to amazon you know great multifamily in a fast-growing downtown you know what i mean like everybody will tell you how smart you are but you're, you're gonna pay up don't you think i of course yeah i i agree and that goes you know and that's the other component of it it's just it's discipline and that's why i say that you're looking for conviction because conviction under the hood has this method of the madness that is there's there's this is when we'll transact and we have the discipline then because when it says no it's like, no, we don't transact. We don't buy because it doesn't make sense until it checks our boxes. You know, and, and, I, and I meet guys all the time that they go through that and, and they realize it's too tight and they loosen up a little bit and then they try to you know, something lands in the box and then they really think it through and they lose sleep, you know, before they put, you know, you know, like those are the things that it is. It's hard in multifamily right now. It's it is difficult to transact, which is why it requires that conviction. 
It, it, it just does. Like you have to like, this is how we, so what we're looking for and you're going to adjust. Like you guys will eventually figure out it. So see, that's what I mean. Like those things are fine, but it's going to be based upon, it, it's going to be more scientific, right? Like why you decided to, to move here or to look more in Denver or versus Salt Lake or, you know, or whatever it is that you choose to do, you know, you'll eventually get a deal. Like the, you'll, you'll find a deal. And, but yeah, it's just, it's, it, it's, it's not easy, right? It's just, it's just investing is not easy. And especially when, like you said, all the sheep are running in one direction and, you know, I, I don't have the answer for that, right? Like I, I really don't. So. I mean, I would love to be, if I wasn't so scared of development risk, I would love to be developing like crazy. Also, if I could get my plywood for less than $70 a square, yeah, no <laughs> $70 <kidding>. a sheet. <laughs> like I would love to sell multifamily into a, you know, I think there was one in Utah that went for a two and a half cap in Salt Lake. Like, this is not Manhattan, people. I know. Whoot. I know. Like, I love Salt Lake. Salt Lake's great. Two and a I, half cap? <laughs> what? I, I what? know. It's nuts. That's what I mean. Like, it's, and this is the thing is that it puts a lot of, you know, it, it's interesting, right? Because you've got even like Sam Zell, who's like, you know, he's the guy who dances on graves and, you know, whatever is that even now, like, they're saying the stuff he's buying and it's like, he sure looks like one of those white sheep running toward the edge, you know, so we'll, we'll all find out. But, and I think that's, the, and that's always my point. The whole thing is that it's, in, this is investing, right? Investing is you've, you've got these markets and, and they move and you've got like, it's not easy. That's what I mean. That's how you generate a return. And, and sometimes the right answer is to sit it out, right? Is to basically say, no, I, I don't, I don't transact. We don't transact in this market. Well, I will tell you what. We were going to be a multifamily fund until our mutual friend talked me out of it and said, <laughs> why would you paint yourself into that corner? What about when multifamily gets overpriced? You're so stuck. Why, so stuck. you know, uh, yeah. why, why paint yourself into the corner? Okay, next question. You've seen a lot of pitches. You've been around a lot of pitches. When you think about the most effective pitches. What are, what are some common elements that you see in, in people that are, are better at their investor pres presentations? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Same thing is that it's, it's, you know, it's sort of the, they, they all have the hero's journey arc, right? So, you know, think Luke Skywalker, you know, and Darth Vader and star Wars. And it, it just, it, that's what works. It, it works for everything. Right. And so, you know, take our mutual friend who's continues to remain nameless, but it's just, it <laughs> has, you know, like it has an arc. That's what I'm saying. Like that's that conviction is this, this, this arc of realizing that you're not the hero of your own story, that, that the audience is the hero, you know, that they're, they're, they're the protagonist. So, so when you, when you approach it that way, then it's saying, cause you know, really in, in this case, and it's, it's sort of breaks apart, I suppose that, you know, like you as the sponsor, more like Han Solo, right? Like you're, you're the one who, who's along with the hero and, and helping guide them through this journey and, you know, having their back. Right. And I think that the big mistake that most people make one is they skip straight to like, let me tell you how you can, let me tell you how you can participate. The fund can give you this benefit or return. And that's the first thing to hit you with as though that's all people care about. All I care about is I want a 14 IRR and a 2X equity multiple. It's like, it's important. I don't think that's the reason why they do what they do. They, they do what they do because they're saying that I have this need to grow and build my wealth. And I'm looking for someone who can be the Sherpa, my Sherpa, one of many Sherpas on my journey, right? And, and, and showing them how you do that. And I know it sounds all crazy, but how does that play out? It's saying, listen, here we are. We're in St. Louis, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri is whatever. And you paint the picture of St. Louis. I don't know St. Louis from a hole in the wall. I've never been there my entire life, but I could be convinced that St. Louis is the next great place to invest, right. Or whatever. And so taking them through and showing them the possibilities and how, you know, because then you get them to the point where they say, how do I participate in this opportunity? Because I want to be the hero of that story. You know, I want the benefit of that accrues on that, of that journey. Right. I want to be Luke. And so it, it sounds weird, but no one does that. And that's their problem. But the guys who got on stage at our live events, like our mutual friend and, you know, Stephen Seal, who sort of retired, but he's a legend because that's what he did. Captivate them with story, bring them to place of how it all began, you know, and how he, you know, did these things and how they can be the beneficiaries of this strategy, right? Because it is, so you've got this strategy or this thing that you've uncovered or 
you know, this, this different way of looking at the market. And of course, that means along the way you're sharing, we're bullish on these markets. We believe in this asset class for this, but you've got to shape it that way so it can be consumed. Now, I know that stuff, what I just said doesn't work to institutional investors are like, what is this BS? Right. They're like, who cares? You know, I mean, maybe, you know, you know I so a, a friend, client who's been on the show, Stacey Havener from Havener Capital in Rhode Island. She's raised like $8 billion for 40 act funds and that's led to an additional $30 billion of follow-on funding. And she says that the hardest thing she has to do, these people, you know, they, they spend, you know, 30 years at Goldman then and they want to come start their own fund, right? She yeah. says that same thing. They immediately just want to talk about the return like it's the only thing that matters. And like her hardest thing is getting them to tell their backstory of like, why you? Like, why didn't you just stay at Goldman? Why are you here? What's going, you know, and like, yeah. and these guys are like, well, that doesn't matter. We shouldn't waste time on that. She's like, you don't understand. That's the number one thing that is mm -hmm. going to set you apart from the other people claiming the same number as you. And yeah. so, so you're, I'm, I'm hearing confirming information here, Lance. Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, there you go. So it works with the institutional investors too. So, I mean, and, and, and you know, I'm not giving them much credit, like, like they're cyborgs or something. I mean, that's <laughs> well, they wrong. kind of are. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> they kind of are. They definitely act like it, but it does prove that they're human too. And, you know, and that's, I mean, it has to be compelling. We, we want to, that's what I mean. We all want to be involved with something we have, we have our own conviction in, right? And I think that, that that's where it all comes from. So if, I mean, that's the theme of this discussion, right? I mean, with, me, I mean, as if you, if you're a listener, you've picked up. I'm a passionate dude. Like I'm like this all day long because I do have conviction. Like I care deeply, and it's because I care deeply. But if I didn't care deeply, I'd be on a journey to find something I could care deeply about, right? And so that's sort of my advice for people: is just saying, it's, it's more enjoying. It's like it's a better life. If I didn't have something worth living for, and I didn't have conviction, I didn't have those things, then why? Right. Then becomes this sort of existential crisis. Right. So of course it works. If you believe in it, you left freaking Goldman Sachs. Why'd you leave there? The last time I checked, they pay you a ton of money. I know you have to work a lot. So, but either way, there's gotta be some reason you left, right? There has to be. It's the same reason why you decided you want to start a fund or whatever. There has to be a reason. If there's not, then you should just stop doing it. Right. So get that story out there because there must be a good reason. There's, as you've heard in this Last however many minutes we've been here, I have a good reason why I do all the stuff I do. Is it easy? No, it's harder than hell, but I do it because I believe in it. That's what gets me up. That's why I got up early this morning and I'll do it again tomorrow. Okay. I love it. Stories, conviction. What's, what's another thing? CEO's got to go pitch his fund. What's, what's one more tip? Yeah, I don't, I don't, that's it, man. I, okay. I don't know what else, I don't know what else you need. I just, it's, I, I feel like that's the. Yeah, I just don't, you know, a good, That's the most a important good disclaimer one. slide, you know, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, disclaimer slides. That's, that's, that's slide number two. Got to be on point. <laughs> hey, can I ask you something? I find it much more common in the States. In Canada, it is always slide number two or sometimes slide number one. Many times in the States, I see it as the last slide. Is that? Yeah, I don't know. I've never I seen that till I came here. Is that? I don't know, man, but that, that seems like that no attorney I know would be comfortable with that. Like, wait till the end to tell you that, hey, all the, you know, I don't know. I'm a slide two guy. I feel like it needs to be slide two. It's just like, get this out of the way. Hey, here's where bad things could happen. Read all this stuff. Okay, now let's get to the story. Okay. Right? Like, I, don't, I don't want that like wet blanket at the end, yeah. right? But I'm, I'm assuming knowing the American mindset, we're sort of like, that's our version of let's, let's sweep it under the rug. Okay. <laughs> so I'm interested in your thoughts on where the where the future of the space is going. Like you look at like a fundrise or an origin or, you know, these guys doing the equity crowdfunding. I mean, how does that how does administrating, you know, how does fund administration look if they start having like, you know, thousands of investors? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that. Well, well, what we've proven is that it it can be done, right? I mean, we've got we've got one fund has like six hundred investors in it. I mean, and obviously you you know you get to two thousand, you sort of trip over, and you've got a whole other you know deal to deal with. I mean, you have to become you have to register the securities with the SEC. You know, they can be non traded. I mean, I, I think that's 
that's the cool thing, right? Is that technology has sort of made it possible, right? Because when you really think about it, if, if you have a good communication rhythm and you can keep people informed, you know, and you use that same technology, most people aren't going to, I mean, I think this is the big fear for a lot of GPs and sponsors is that they just think inherently if they have more people in their deal, that just means that there's more, you know, people that'll be a pain in the butt, you know, to deal with. I mean, maybe it's the case, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that, we're going to see more of that. And certainly we're doing our part to try to help, you know, I feel like what part of what I'm trying to do is to make it easy for everyone to become their own origin investments, right? Sort of it, it or CrowdStreet or whatever. I mean, and anyone that, you know, that's what we're trying to do is that there's one place to go where you can sort of meet anyone and anyone that wants to have that sort of platform can build it on top of what we're doing. Right. And so, yeah, I, I, I hope that that happens. And I'm, I'm a big I encourage guys all the time to lower their minimums as much as they can. You know, it's like, OK, I know that you think you got to do 100, but why not 50, you know, or settle at 75 or, you know, it's a debt fund. Go to 25. I mean, make it easy for people. Right. Lower the bar. Listen, but, I, I tell you what, I, I really got swayed. We had this great guy on the show, Greg Spillane. He, he runs a company called Fancy. And, you know, their investors are like Will Smith and all these cool people, right? Okay. Mm. And he, he, he really pitched me on the idea of no minimum for equity crowdfunding. And he's like, listen, this is a marketing thing. So what if I let somebody in where their investment is really small? I have one more person. If, if I can deliver, I've got one more person talking about me. And it's that, it's that thing too of like, I kind of get my nose under the tent of their of their whole financial world of like, I don't care how much they want to put in with me to begin with. Let me deliver. And, and that might become a much, much larger number where if the minimum was too high to even get started, I never get that bigger number. I agree. And especially with like your strategy, like with what we've talked about, right. Is having an open-ended evergreen vehicle. I mean, yeah, I guess it's not always available for, you know, depending on it's not, but that's why I say, why not? I mean, if you can use the real estate exemption, the three C five, and you can go up to 2000 investors, then I'm with him. Like, why not? You know, and if it gets to a point where, you know, you're approaching that number and you basically go back to them and say, listen, you know, we really don't want to register these securities. It just triggers a whole different animal. You know, you either need to bump to, you know, 15 or 20 or, you know, whatever. And if you've taken care of them, they'll probably find a way to do it or they'll request a redemption and, you know, you solve your problem either way. So I'm kind of with them and, and I understand and I can appreciate why there's some hesitancy in doing that. But, you know, I, I, we certainly at Verivest are, are trying to remove as much of that burden as we, we, we can, right, by handling some of that frontline, absorbing some of that frontline stuff, because it's, it's, to me, it's not that big of a deal. Well, for me too, it's like, you know, when you hear like there's the rural electrification dollars still in the budget. And you're like, the whole country's been electrified for like 75 years. Why, why, is it, why are we still paying taxes for that? You're yeah. like, I get it. If you have to go golfing with every investor, you have to take every investor to lunch to pitch them. Like it's got to be worth your while. Sure. But we don't live in that environment anymore. No, we don't. We don't. We just don't live in that environment. That's exactly what I say too. That, that's it. I, I think that you're, you're hanging on to some, you know, thing from a bygone era. It's, 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 that's over, right? Like it's, it's all online now. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter, right? Like to your, to your point, it's just that there's a reason why it used to be a hundred thousand dollars and it was had a lot to do with just the administrative burden and, and the cost to develop the relationship or whatever. But yeah, if they find you online and, and, it's, and, digital. and it's digital and they can, and that's why I tell our clients, I'm like, record the video for your, you know, we'll interview you on your profile and whatever. They're like, they don't get it. I'm like, dude, that means that investors can meet you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They hit play 15 minutes later. They basically got the first conversation out of the way, right? If you got something to invest in on the site, they can click invest. And if it's only five grand or 10 grand or 15 grand or whatever, it's a hell of a lot easier. And you do know, you to- guys, do you guys handle ACHs like right off a client website? Not yet, but okay. it's on the Q3 roadmap. So that's that's the other piece is is getting that to where it's just seamless. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, besides people going to veravest.com or or tuning into the podcast, any place else you'd send people? Yeah, link, LinkedIn is sort of the place that I hang out more than anything. So, you know, just type in Lance Peterson and LinkedIn and you know, I've got, you know, that's sort of the that's my thing. I'm not like a Facebook guy or 
the, the gram or you know like i don't even understand what all that stuff is but uh, i kind linkedin of makes sense i kind of feel like linkedin is like backup email like you know when somebody like moves moves companies or switches businesses at least their linkedin stays the same so i can still get a hold of them totally yeah i mean that's all i love it and it's i get frustrated when people like aren't on there it's it's, it's pretty slick but yeah link linkedin's linkedin's good and but yeah go to the website and the real estate risk report.com those are sort of the Hey, by the way, congratulations on building a legit podcast. You know, we, we started our show, I think there was 250,000 podcasts on earth. Okay. And five years later, it's over a million. Right. And I, I just, you know, we get a lot of people asking for advice. I obviously get to see a lot what's going on in the industry. And I, I do not see people showing up with the commitment and they don't get the results that you're already seeing. And I, it's funny for how many just hundreds and hundreds of podcasts pop up every month. Yeah. Like there's not, I just don't think there's enough people who have enough conviction in their show. And four episodes later, 12 episodes later, all of a sudden they're inconsistent. And another couple yeah. episodes after that, I haven't heard from them in a year, you know? And anyways, kudos on, on like having the consistency. Cause I think that's, I yeah. think that's a huge thing. No, thanks, Jess. I appreciate it. And I, and I would say it's, I, I think it just goes back to the whole theme of this conversation is just that, see, it's, it's because I care about that, right? Like that topic, it's not for everybody. Not, it's not everyone sort of, Hey, jump on and listen to talk about all the crap that can go wrong. Right. But, but for me, it's important to me. Right. And it's important to me to, to, to provide a platform for others to share how they go about doing that and to have those discussions. And, and, and that's what keeps me going. Right. If it was, and I think the people that do it four or five times sort of shows that it's because they don't care about it. Right. Like the, the, the reason for getting into it wasn't genuine. Right. Whereas this is a topic that I have, I'm passionate about. So I'm going to keep doing it. And yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. So, and, and as you can see, I'm kind of wired this way. This, I, I'm not like, I tell, I'm not good at many things. Like I am not good administratively replying to email, like all the stuff I'm terrible at, but man, you can like hit a button and I'll just talk. So record that crap, put it up on a site. More people can listen to it. I'm all for that. That just, that's my kind of deal. <laughs> well, listen, one of my very favorite questions has been asking everybody on the show, what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? Yeah, I mean, if I if I look back, the the best advice that I was given was, you know, one of my early clients, you know, was was adamant that I become a member of the entrepreneurs organization, right? And so, like, I have to go back and just say, like, that's the best advice I ever got, right? And so, you know, and thankfully he was like a mentor and he just browbeat me until I did it, right? Because at the time it was like, oh, it's three grand or thirty five hundred, like for I'm like, oh, that's a lot of money. You know, it doesn't sound like anything these days, but that was the best advice. And doing that really, I mean, that's like drinking from a fire hose, man. Like that's, that's how you get in the game. And um, definitely glad I did that and was involved in that organization. So probably the best advice I've ever been given. So I love it. Well, thanks for doing this. We'll have to have you back on again soon. Yeah. Thanks, Jess. I appreciate it, man. You take care. Okay. Bye everyone.